If you're anything like me, or a number of other photographers that I know, you've tried going to an air show to do aviation photography, photographing aircraft, both on the ground or in the air as they fly by. But today's guest on Behind the Shot, he does it from inside the cockpits of some of the most technologically advanced aircraft on the planet. We take photography to new heights on this episode of Behind the Shot. Hi again, thanks for joining us on Behind the Shot, the podcast where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots. If you enjoy what you see, be sure to subscribe either in the Google Play Store or iTunes or through your favorite podcast app, whatever it is, and, and make sure that you drop us a review as well. I love any feedback that we can possibly get. You can find all the episodes and a blog post associated with today's episode at thisweekinphoto.com and just click the link for Behind the Shot. So again, I'm Steve Brazel, your host, and today we've got somebody who's an old friend of mine. I've shot a number of shows with this guy before, but he does a type of photography that a lot of people really dream of doing. He specializes in aerial photography, military, law enforcement, civilian. But here's the deal. When you or I shoot aviation photography, it's usually at an air show and we're standing on the ground. This guy actually does it in situations where you and I would probably be sick. Scott, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. It's Good my pleasure. Here. And by the way, how do you pronounce your last name? It's Dworkin. Okay, it's so the, the, the W is not silent. Correct. Okay, so Scott Dworkin, he's an L.A.-based freelance photographer, and he shoots a lot of things. He does do music photography as, from what I'm, I'm starting to recognize in my age, Almost every freelance photographer in L.A. has realized, wait, I can get into concerts for free. <laughs> that's the secret. <laughs> yeah, that's really what it is. So right. almost every freelance L.A. photographer will tell you I'm a photojournalist. Right. And I shoot live music. Right. Uh, but you specialize in aerial photography. Right. And I'm kind of curious because you literally get in the cockpits or in the cargo area of some of the most advanced aircraft on the planet correct and you managed to a not get sick not most of the time yes oh so ha have you gotten sick flying? oh yeah yeah oh yeah all the time yeah in a it cockpit? depends oh uh yeah there's there, yeah i'm not gonna lie i'm not uh too ashamed in the beginning especially it takes some adjustment adjusting to and it also um depending on the how long between you fly you know the flights you have and what they're doing um can can matter greatly. So, yes, absolutely. So when you're when you are being an aviation photographer and again, mm -hmm. I mentioned you shoot for the military, you shoot for law enforcement, you shoot for civilian agencies and actually contractors that build these things. Correct. Um, when when you are in an airplane flying, mm -hmm. you actually have the mental wherewithal while pulling G's to hold a camera. Yeah. And snap a shutter. Yep. Yeah. And um, and to go back to your original point, if you're going to get sick to pull out a bag and get to it in time, because the biggest mistake you can ever make, whether you're in an Air Force airplane, a Navy airplane or what have you, is if you uh, hurl in the cockpit it's um, and land, you will probably be the guy that's going to end up cleaning it because you're not going to subject any wonderful Air Force airman or Navy sailor to uh, doing that, nor would they probably do it. <laughs> so, so it's frowned upon to throw up in, in the... <laughs> Correct. Yes. Uh, it's not the best situation. So uh, um, I've had a few times uh, where, you know, I, I had to get a shot and 
didn't feel so hot and had a bag in my left hand. Um, had the camera in my right hand with the only thing I carry with me or any external stuff on the camera is just a hand strap. There are no neck straps or anything like that in a cockpit. Okay, so, so I'm going to I'm going to ask you this then because a lot of people ask this question. I have friends who use hand straps as well. Right. Specific brand that you like? Uh, I've been using the Spider holster Okay, one. Spider holster hand yeah, straps. Uh, I've got one sitting back here behind yeah, me. In fact. It's the best one I've used. Um, I actually have it on both of my cameras. And um, even though I usually only take one in the airplane at a time, uh, it's it's a really nice piece of equipment. And your client list, I was looking at your website. I'll give it out at the end too, but give your yeah. website out right now. It's Mach91aerialphotography.com. Okay. And I'm looking at your client list online and your client list, seriously, is pretty much anybody that would have something to do with aviation. U.S. Air Force, U.S. Navy, U.S. Marines, U.S. Coast Guard, LAPD. That was interesting. I'm guessing because of the helicopter fleet. Right. Uh, L.A. County Fire Department, General Electric, Lockheed Martin, HelloWeb. I mean, really, honestly, either from the, for lack of a better phrase, end user side. Right. Or from the development side. Right. You've pretty much worked for everybody that there is. Uh, yeah, I would say. I mean, so to to clarify some of that. So I am without going into a long explanation with the Navy as an example. I am cleared to fly in their aircraft as what they call a project specialist. Um, so the work Which I do actually sounds like a military yeah. rank almost. And it's, it's a designation um, through through various means that I got to this point. What it allows me to do is do my work. Um, I then take that work and it is my goal to, again, using the Navy uh, to publicize what they are doing. So. I am allowed to do my work um, without going into too much detail of the business side. Um, their expectation of me is that I'm going to get them press in any number of publications that I work with uh, as a freelancer. There are many, I wouldn't say many, there are a few aviation publications around the world that are high profile. And as the military has its own public affairs, they also require or, or need guys like me who are outside of the chain of command, not in the military, let's say that can work to publicize their mission to the public beyond their means, which is their websites, you know, internal navy.mil, airforce.mil. Um, so it's kind of a, it's a symbiotic relationship with the government. When it comes to the uh, contractors you mentioned, like General Electric, those are folks that will come to me and say, hey, we're looking to put a package together for marketing purposes of this. Do you have anything in your archive? So I am in the truest sense, a freelancer. I am not working. Well, I'm not working for the government directly. Uh, I'm allowed to do my work with the government. Now there is a couple caveats to that. I am a contractor here in uh, at Point Magoo Naval Air, uh, Naval Air Warfare Center. Um, I have a job working for them as a test photographer, which is stuff that doesn't go into the public space. But aside from that, you've got the freelance stuff. But but I was actually going to get into the shop. But you just brought up a really interesting point. You're working for these companies or for military branches. Mm -hmm. And as a freelancer, they want you to get into these magazines, aviation magazines, publications uh, from a marketing point of view, really from a press point of view. Right. But but then the first thought, as you were saying that, I'm thinking, mm -hmm. OK, you've got to I'm guessing pass a a security background check uh, and have a security clearance because some of these jets have, you know, not yes and no. 
For my contract job, yes. For my regular freelance work, no. Because the expectation is is that this work is all going to be taken and put into a public forum. Do they so, do they peruse your shots first and say, no, 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 that's yes. got that top secret gear in it. Don't use that one. I'm, I'm pretty well versed in what I can and can't shoot. But yes, they do. They will review um, depending on where I'm at. Uh, they will review everything. Um, sometimes review the text because I also write my their articles to accompany my photos. Okay, okay. So sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. It's it's really up to their, it's their discretion. Um, so and who can, owns the copyright on your freelance work? I do. Nice. Yeah. So there's, there is uh, that comes up often. It's a good question. Um, the implication of access does not, uh, or the, the access does not imply ownership. Um, now, again, I have some work that I do with the Navy that I work for a company. I, I am employed by them and that work is theirs and it's the Navy's. It's the companies right. and the Navy's. I used to work at Edwards Air Force Base as a flight test photographer. Nothing I did there was mine. And the only way it ever saw the public light was if the public affairs office at Edwards Air Force Base released it via their website or what have you. Into so, so on the stuff that you own copyright for, I'm going off on a tangent and I yeah. promise yeah, to no. those of you watching, I will get to this photo, I promise. But yeah. this is interesting. So f- from from a freelance point of view, you register your images with the U.S. Copyright Office as well. Mm-hmm. So effectively, you own copyright, but the clients that you're shooting freelance for are given full use licensing rights to them. Yeah, most of them, most of my clients pretty much stick to a non-exclusive agreement. Um, It's as you know, as a photographer, getting into exclusivity is extremely expensive. Um, So most of them will use it on, you know, where they'll say we want to use one of these photos uh, for three years in X, Y and Z applications. you know, we want it in a non-exclusive way. Um, that's, I would say, pretty like 100 percent of the time. OK, so, so that, that all makes sense. I, yeah. I appreciate that kind of insight because yeah. I just did, in fact, a, anytime copyright comes up, I'm interested in it because I just did an episode on copyright a couple of right. episodes so, ago, two yeah. months ago or something. Um, so I'm always fascinated to see how real working professionals. Right. You know, kind of deal with that issue. So let's get into your shot here. Um, yeah. Again, you are an aerial photographer. And when people think of aerial photography, they think normally of ground to air or drones or yeah, or drones. No. And yeah. what you do, you do ground to ground. So you'll stand on a tarmac or in a hangar and shoot something. You'll just right. stand in, in an airplane that's on the ground and do it. Right. But you also do ground to air and air to air photography. And today's shot is an air to air photograph. Right. So give me a little background as far as exposure data on the shot that we're talking about today, which is the one that's on screen right now. OK, so uh, this was a shot that was taken in Arizona. When I was flying out of Luke Air Force Base, which is just outside of Phoenix, um, the exposure for this one, because this was, you know, you, you kind of get one or two chances to get this shot. And that's the honest truth. We had, you know, they only carry a certain amount of flares and they're only willing to try it a certain amount of time. And you're only carrying a certain amount of gas. So well, and, and and I'm guessing. Well, OK, I'm going to get to that question later. So finish okay. what you're saying, because so, I mean, just yourself. just baseline what you're asking. You know, I shot this at one sixteenth hundredth of a second. At F5, uh, at the ISO was 200. Not 100% sure I can remember why I had it at 200 as opposed to 100. But sometimes, honestly, I leave the camera ISO on auto just so I have one less thing to futz around with. Um, they had, uh, not willing, ashamed to admit, sometimes I leave that on auto. Um, and then uh, as far as the camera, uh, it was a 
Canon 7D Mark II, which I used then. I use a uh, 1DX right now in pretty much all my shots. A regular 1DX or the 1DX Mark II? 1DX, a re- uh, the, the old one. Okay. So. Um, and what lens was this? Uh, 24 to 105, which is what I bring almost exclusively on flights. Is it the Mark II or the original? Original. Okay, which is one of, uh, it's in my bag next to me. Yeah. It's one of my favorite lenses. And when I first started shooting concert photography, it was my go-to lens because I only had one body and I didn't want to have to switch from a 24 to 70 to a 70 to 200. And that 70 to 105 range is the difference in the world on not having to switch lenses. Right. And it's a sharp lens too. It's a really nice lens. It's just because it's an F4 for concert. It's a little tough sometimes, but otherwise it's my favorite lens. So uh, I want to stay on on exposure information for a minute. Yep. Are you in fully manual? Are you in, mm. you know, TV um, shutter priority, aperture priority? What I, are you shooting? I think in this case, if I look back through the data, I was probably in shutter priority. And nowadays, um, I use almost exclusively manual, like I said, except for possibly leaving ISO on auto sometimes. If it's bright and sunny and, and, uh, and on the last dozen flights I've done with the Navy, it's all over the desert. Um I just leave the ISO on auto. I mean, it doesn't one, you know, six of one half a dozen. I can leave it on a hundred. I can leave it on auto in case what, we go through a cloud. You know, what was your deciding factor in going in making quote unquote, the switch from shutter priority to going mostly manual. Now did shutter priority fail you on occasion or no. Um, and honestly, I will still sometimes switch to that just to kind of see what the camera wants to do to get a ballpark. Um, the reason I switched was, uh, I had more opportunities to fly in the project I'm working on right now with the Navy um, and allowed me a little bit more flexibility. So I wasn't as pressed all the time that this is it. When I land, this is it. Now, I still treat every flight like that, but let's just say I've had a little bit more time to experiment. Okay, that makes sense. Now, you said your shutter on this was 1600th of Correct. a second, which is screaming fast. Right. Is, is is that because these are jets and flares and you need, you need 1600 to freeze this? Because I'm this, assuming, and correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, you're obviously not on the ground. You're in a jet. Right. You're moving probably close to the same speed as them. So freezing them is not like they're doing 300 miles an hour past right. you and you're standing still. Right. But so two things in that you're 100% right. And on most air to air shots, I would probably be closer to like 800. Um you know, somewhere in that range, even, even 640, I mean, but 800,000. And again, I'll kind of move around that with this but, particular but sp- shot. I'm correct. Right. The speed difference between your aircraft. It's the same. And yeah. what you're right. So you're moving parallel. Right. So in this shot though, to answer your question, two things, one, the flares come out much faster than the airplanes are flying. So, you know, these things are rocketing out and they're going to burst into that kind of what you see there and and then be out of the frame and in, in you know a couple a second maybe so it's almost like a missile i mean you have a split second they kind of fall away i mean they, they do but second thing as to the shutter speed is if you look at the picture so i'm going to move here so you can kind of see but if i'm sitting in the back seat of the nether, well, the nether let, F-16, let, me, let me stop the photo so that people can okay. see you while you do this okay so i'm sitting in the back seat behind the pilot I, we did this, we did this twice. The first time didn't work. Um, so they had a few more flares to try a second time, which again, it doesn't always happen. So I'm shooting like this facing backwards. They're there up in the corner, kind of up where the picture is over there. Um, so what they were doing was falling behind me. So 
again, I'm talking about milliseconds of, you know, a, a second at best of where three, two, one break, they go like this pop flare or he pop flares, and then they're rolling behind us or the one's rolling away. The other guy's rolling right behind us. So I'm trying to crank myself now in the F-16, you're strapped in and like, six places. That was one of my questions. Yeah, what were you in? <laughs> so, so I was in an F-16, just like those are in the photo. Um, so you're strapped in, you know, I know I'm, I've been flying in the Super Hornet so much. I know that how many are there, but I think in the F-16, it's been a while, but I think it's six. It's a waist, shoulders. Yeah, it's two, whatever. So you're, it's very hard to turn around. It's not like a car seat belt where you can crank. I mean, you have the seat, the ejection seat is up to here. You have the canopy rails are kind of shoulder level. So it's very tight and you're strapped in. I mean, you can loosen the belts a little bit if you need to move, but you're not, you know, it's not something you normally do. And then you're cranked around. So I'm holding while he's flying that position. I'm counting down. He, I'm t I never talk to the other airplanes. Um, the less radio chatter, the better. So I'm basically relaying to my pilot what I want them to do. I'll use hand signals, but I'm not over the radio frequencies talking to all these guys. You can't hear the other pilots. Oh, I can. Oh, absolutely. So do they, but, do they do a, do they do a, you know, one, two, three roll and you can hear uh, that. Yeah. So what I would do in that, in this particular shot is I told my pilot, what I want to do is three, two, one break. So he's going to say that to them. So I'm ready. I say, I'm, you know, camera's ready. And he goes, you're ready. Camera's ready. Okay. And then he tells them guys, three, two, one break, you know, and they do it. So they're listening to him and him alone. One voice. Other guys, there's a few other guys that do what I do. I'm not the only one, but other guys might do it differently. I learned through my work and then the time I spent at Edwards with the people that I worked with out there that all of us talking on the radio, it, it, it isn't, you don't want to be doing that. At least I, I don't think so. So I will use hand signals for certain things. And then otherwise I'm communicating to my pilot. Hey, can you, can you have him move up a little, down a little? Okay. He's in a good position for the shot. Now I'm ready. Three, two, one break. And that's what we did. And, and so then then I'm curious, do you ever with that that cranking around behind you thing, do you ever just turn on live view, hold the camera up like this and watch nah. the screen? It's too hard. I mean, the, the amount of light coming in um, now, I've I've shot video with my DSLR in the in the planes quite often. And that obviously you have to there. But for stills, no. I mean, there's there's very, very few times that I've ever had any success doing that. So in this shot, are you pulling G's at this point? No, no. The goal is to not be pulling G's at that point. So again, with what I do and some of the uh, other folks who are lucky enough to do what I do, there are a couple different things. There is shots like this where you kind of need the F-16 as a chase plane to be a stable platform because it's as fast as the other airplanes. Um, you know, I couldn't be flying realistically. I, I know there's a few folks that do this, but you're flying in a prop airplane with the door off, let's say, is an option. Um, but what I don't do that. There, Like I said, there are a couple guys that do that very well. I don't do that. I, I do my work in the other fighters. So your goal with your pilot is to have him be as straight and level as possible during this type of thing. Now, other times, um, you're not. So when I do test work, we've done... You know, I've done, uh, and, and even in some of my freelance work, I've done weapons releases where they're dropping bombs and stuff. And they're in a, you know, a 20 degree nose down bank and we're following him in that bank. So you're, you're pulling up with him. Um, there's some videos on my Instagram that people seem to like, and, and it shows that exact thing, um, you know, where 
So again, for photos, you know, you, you kind of want to be as stable as possible, but it's not always going to happen that way. So you kind of, you do what you can for me personally. And again, I don't know about some of the other guys that have the ability to do this four and a half to five G's with the one DX is about my limit of holding the camera up. And that's still hard. So, <laughs> you know, there's, and this is all discussed with the pilots beforehand. So, so in this not, in this shot, then really your pilot is kind of like holding the ladder steady while you're up on a ladder type absolutely thing. So right. yep. uh, uh, one of the things that I immediately noticed when you sent me this shot. Well, first of all, where's your focus point on here? Uh, probably right in between the two airplanes, if I remember correctly. So on the sky, infinity? Nah, I, you know, if anything, I'd probably be cheating towards the, the, the right plane. The guy dropping the flares. OK. And and the reason for that, by the way, is the guy flying the plane. That was his last flight. It was just what they call a finny flight in the Air Force. Um, and that's the reason we even did this. This was a, a sort of a, a bonus. You know, we got to, we got to do some really neat stuff during this flight because it was his last flight um, with with this squadron. Um, he's still in the Air Force, but it was his last F-16 flight with this squadron. So we went up and did some really neat stuff. And, and you were, can see him, by the way, if you zoom in. The first thing my wife said was, I can see the pilot. And, yeah. and you clearly can read his name, everything on the. Well, on the, the name on the plane it. isn't necessarily the guy flying. That's just okay. you get you get. It's like uh, there's 40 jets out there and you get whatever's there. Uh, they, well, you know, the thing but that yeah. really leaped at me on this is the flares reflect underneath the planes. Right. And that is just awesome. So you shoot this, you get on the ground. You bring this into, are you a Lightroom user? No, uh, Photoshop. All Photoshop. Okay, so yeah. you bring this into Photoshop. And I will say, this could have been overcooked easily, right? Yeah. There could have been, that's a realistic sky. Yeah. You could have, and many photographers would have pulled that sky up and saturated it and tried to make that ground look, you know, richer. No. This is so perfectly done because the jets are so rich and so beautiful in tone against that yeah. real sky. What are your deciding factors in post and what do you what do you do to images? So basically, you know, I stick to the rule because I consider myself a photojournalist. So I don't modify anything. Now, you know, in the concert work you and I know you can kind of get away with making some shots look really different if you want to. And there's a lot more post involved with the, you know, the low light stuff uh, at Anything I do that is uh, related to military law enforcement, the only thing I do in camera raw is I might bring down the highlights a little bit. And um, that's about it. I mean, I really don't do a lot of crazy stuff. I, I kind of stick to that 10% rule, which is the photojournalist rule is you can't, you know, there's nothing in this photo that was removed or, or put in, let's put it that way. And then on top of that, as far as sliders and dragon, I, I'll, I'll give credit where credit's due. I sat through a Scott Kelby lecture once and he talked about bringing highlights down to make skies pop. And that's all I do. So on this photo, I might've dragged the, the highlights down to maybe, you know, some ticks down on camera raw and um, tweak the contrast a tiny bit. If I remember and any clarity or saturation change or zero? Uh, nothing on saturation. I use clarity. I usually uh, just standard across the board on all my pictures do about 15 Okay, that's on me the, too. I'm 15 uh, to 20 on most. Yeah, that, that was, I say 15 to 20. And then once I pull it out of camera raw, um, I usually uh, uh, just do sharpening. Just a, I have kind of a, I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but I kind of have a set, a preset in Photoshop. I, I use Lightroom as well. I'm just not, 
I'm not as familiar with Lightroom, so I always kind of feel that I'm learning as I'm working and I just don't have the time. So I, it, it probably takes me a heck of a lot longer to do it the way I do it because I look at every photo and sit there and kind of evaluate. You know, I, I just recently started using Photo Mechanic this last Low. year. Photo Mechanic changed my workflow yeah. completely. And again, I've because Lightroom for culling pictures is literally the slowest thing possibly on yeah. earth. Never been a Lightroom user. I've tried it many times. I've sat, like I said, I sat through a Scott Kelby lecture for a whole day talking about Lightroom and other tips. But um, I always go back to you know Photo Mechanic. I started using about six or eight months ago to cull my photos, put tag them, put the uh, you know data in it, and then literally open. And this is gonna sound weird. I'm old school this way. I'll open 25 photos at a time in Camera Raw, go through them and then do a final delete there and then pull them into Photoshop. And that all I do in Photoshop, occasionally I'll straighten a horizon. Again, good friend of mine gives me a lot of crap if you look at my Facebook, uh, but one of my mentors always, you know, gives me crap. If, you, if your horizon's crooked, it, it's not, you don't want. Now, again, if you're doing something really dynamic and you want to express that, right? It, you know, that, but otherwise that's it. I'm in, in Photoshop, all I'm really doing is uh, a little bit of sharpening, export as a JPEG, Boom. Well, and, and you have to do some because you're shooting raw and you have to correct for sharpness and everything from the raw right. file. So then that brings up my last questions, okay. which are every photographer that I know literally has gone to an air show at some point in time and tried to do aviation photography from from that kind of an angle. So three different scenarios, right? Aircraft on the ground, mm -hmm. shooting from the ground, aircraft in the air or an actual high-speed flyby of aircraft, right? Those, okay. those three basic scenarios you hit at an air show. Right. Doing what you do so well, what are your tips for people doing air show photography? So that's a, that could be a whole nother show because there's a lot of variables in that. But I'll, the, the basic, if you're shooting on, uh, like, let's say a static airplane, you're walking around the air show. I'm going to go to Camarillo this weekend. They have a small air show. I'm going to walk around. I'm not taking a camera. I'm just going to, but if you're walking around there, let's say shooting on the ground, you would shoot just like you were, you know, shooting anything, your portrait. I mean, that's up to you, you know, your F-stop. Think about your light. Think about your, yeah. Yeah. Nothing's moving. It's just a, like just shooting a stop car. Right. Um, shooting in the air, the, the couple variables, if it's a prop plane, the big thing with air, uh, aviation photographers that are, you know, kind of learning, you don't want the prop to look like a stick. Uh, same on a helicopter. You don't want the rotors to be stopped like a stick because uh, it doesn't convey movement. It's like shooting an Indy car and ha being able to actually see the rims. It looks parked. Correct. But I, I sh I've shot cycling for years and it's the same thing. There's kind of a mix. Cycling is actually very hard to shoot because you want to, there's a fine line between the wheels spinning and blurring everything out too slow. So, um, you know, with, with props and helos, you kind of want to drop down as low as you can hand, hand holding. I usually will shoot like 125 a second. I know guys that can shoot down to 60th that are really good at panning and getting uh, for fast, the high speed flybys you're talking about, man. I mean, I go up to 1600 sometimes. They're going 500, 550 miles an hour. So they're coming by you in a split second. So yeah, I mean, I'll go up as high as I need to go on the shutter. Um, th th those are like really broad, you know, like I said, you're shooting no, that, that makes sense. And obviously yeah. also pan with them too. Yeah, it depends. I mean, yeah. There's guys that, that, you know, if you're shooting and you want that background to be completely blurred, there's a, there's a fine line. So whatever you can drop down as low on the shutter speed as possible to get the panning and not blur, that's where you're at. And like I said, I think that's anywhere from, you know, on a jet, 640, 800. But if, if you're just, if an F-18 is doing just a high-speed flyby where he's high enough where there's no ground, you can crank up to 1600 because you're not, doesn't matter. Um, 
Yeah, which all makes sense to me. So you yeah. you mentioned to me in the green room before we came on, uh, before we give out your contact info, that you've got a book in the works. Tell me tell me about that. Okay, so the book I'm working on is kind of what I was describing using the Navy as an example. I've been working with um, the squadron. Uh, VFA-122 is the Super Hornet West Coast uh, Fleet Replacement Squadron. They are the guys that train the new Super Hornet pilots, the students coming out of advanced jet training that make it through and get to that level. Um, VFA-122 is based on Lemoore. There's an East Coast squadron that does the same thing in Oceana, Virginia. Uh, I have been embedded with them basically for the last year, uh, following them around. Uh, I, the concept is following one student from the day he walks in to the day he graduates. That's virtually impossible to do because I don't live in Lemoore, which is up by Fresno. I live down in L.A. So I've made multiple trips back and forth to Lemoore. I've been to Key West. I've been to El Centro, which is these places that they go, these bases to do their training. Um, the book is covering that aspect of what it takes to fly the Super Hornet from the student's perspective, what it takes to be an instructor pilot. And then there's some other things that the squadron does that people aren't necessarily aware of. One of which is they do the demo, the air show demo is VFA 106 and 122. The two squadrons split the country in half and go to the various air shows and do the Super Hornet demonstration. The East Coast guys also do the Legacy, which is the older model. Um, there's that aspect. So these guys are instructor pilots during the week and then take off on Thursday to go to an air show on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, fly their air show, and then come back Monday and start training again. It's not like the Blue Angels where that's all they do throughout the year is air shows. Um, the Air Force has some dedicated um, performers, the F-35, the F-16, where that's all they do. The Super Hornet guys, they have a job. So that's one aspect. There's also the um, transition, which is pretty much over now, but from the legacy F-18s to the Super Hornet, 122 sort of managed that program. And there's some other cats and dogs. So the book is covering VFA-122, tentatively titled Becoming the Rhino, because that's what they call the Super Hornet. And and it it's a soup to nuts, you know, whatever, however analogy you want to use of that of that squadron, because there's a lot more that goes on. It sounds like it's basically it's a documentary almost, but done in text and still photo, which correct as a photographer myself, I actually find that really fascinating to do a documentary book on on a nose to tail process. Right. Throughout something like this. So when's it coming out? <laughs> a little behind on it. <laughs> it was supposed to be out a while ago. I'm hoping it comes out by Chris- before Christmas this year so people can order it. Um, the writing process has taken a lot longer than I thought. So I was hoping to have it out much earlier this year. And I get emails all the time and messages from guys like, where's the book? Uh, I'm hoping, uh, once I get it to the printer by, you know, order, order by holiday season would be holiday season. Yes. We'll keep it, keep it. Well, do me a favor, get me the link when it's done and I'll add it to this blog post whenever it goes up. So you can either watch this blog post for that link right? or you can follow Scott online. So, uh, what's your website again? So my website's mock91, the M-A-C-H-9-1, aerialphotography.com. And you're mock91, aerial photography on Facebook, but then uh, Instagram and Twitter both, you're just mock91 photo. Yeah, I was originally the, the other one, and it was just too long for people to start typing in all the time. Yeah, I have a personal Facebook, which I, I use just as much, and then I started a company one as well. So either one, my name or mock91, they'll both, I overlap a lot. So here's there. the main thing. If you want to see some, and I mean this, amazing aerial photography some of the shots that you will see love is helicopter stuff with the hollywood sign behind it (laughs) um if you want to see just some amazing aerial photography follow scott dworkin online it's uh dw 
O-R-K-I-N, Scott Dworkin. And trust me, just go follow him everywhere you possibly can. Scott, thank you for joining me, man. I appreciate it. It's always good to see you, man. Thanks for the time. You too, man. Again, this is Behind the Shot, where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots. I'm your host, Steve Brazel. We will see you next time. Hey there, I'm Frederick Van Johnson. Thanks for checking out the TWIP Network on YouTube. If you'd like to keep up to date with the shows we're putting out, be sure to click subscribe. And while you're at it, give us a thumbs up. You can also subscribe on thisweekinphoto.com where you'll find lots of other great photography shows. Thanks for watching the TWIP Network on YouTube.